Please draw your attention to the video screens. We have a special introduction uh, to our special speaker this morning. Greetings from Dubai. This economic marvel of the world behind me is the tallest building in the world. In fact, here they boast about having the largest this, the biggest this. I wonder if the Amir of Dubai is from Texas. What an amazing place. So much wealth that is over the top, and yet spiritual poverty reigns supreme. But thank God for the expats. 17 churches are gathering together here for a big annual convention on their national day, in which I'll have the privilege of speaking to them four times over the weekend. But I'm here to welcome my dear friend, Will Graham. I know that you're going to give him a warm apostle's welcome. Will is such a man of God who holds tenaciously to the authority of the Word of God, who is so humble and so modest in his approach by going to places that nobody else will go to. And God is using him mightily. And I'm just privileged to call him a friend, and I'm glad that he is able to come and fill in the pulpit this Sunday. Will you give Will Graham a warm welcome? Well, good morning, and uh, thank you for allowing me to come back. Sometimes I've wondered if I've uh, maybe uh, not welcome anymore, but then your pastor calls me back, so I greatly appreciate it. I'm not sure if you noticed what he was wearing. Did you notice what he's wearing? Blue camouflage. <laughs> Only your pastor could pull that off. And uh, listen, I love your pastor because he, he loves proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ in places where I can never go, uh, places where I cannot get to. He gets to go and he gets to preach. And so I love your pastor. He has a heart for people and evangelizing. And in our family, we love evangelists. And you have one of the greatest evangelists I know of. And so I'm so thankful for your pastor in this church. The last time I was here, I was, uh, your pastor was in Egypt. It was the day of the church bombing. And it, it was during that time frame when he was about to go. And uh, people all in the know, you know, are they still going to go? Are they still going to go? Well, I was kind of wondering, I wonder if they're going to still go. And he said, of course I'm going. Like, that was the dumbest question anyone could ever ask him. He said, there's people that I need to go preach. I'm going to preach. And so that's what I love about your pastor. Bombs don't scare the guy. And it, it, man, when you're wearing blue camouflage, you'll never see him anyway. <laughs> and um, I've been to Dubai, but I've never had the chance to preach there. And so maybe uh, one day the Lord allow me to preach there as well. But um, thank you so much. I hope you guys have, it's hard to believe it's December, isn't it? A little bit over three weeks, we're celebrating Christmas. Time goes by quick. But uh, this morning, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I want to look at uh, a text today that I see so many people struggling with in life. And there may be some of you here today that you too are struggling in this 
in this very subject that we're going to be talking about, and that's discerning God's will. Not Will Graham, <laughs> God's will. Matter of fact, if I said that let's raise our hands and find out how many of us would love to be in the center of God's will, I'm sure almost every one of us would want to raise our hand. We desperately want to be in God's will. There's some of you here today that you know you're outside of God's will. There's some of you here today, you're saying, I want to be in God's will. I don't know if I'm there. I don't know if I'm doing God's will. And so I pray that as I speak this morning that God's word will speak to your heart. Because, my friends, this book is a living book. God speaks to us. And I hope that's what he does today. Now, speaking of blue camouflage, uh, I'm a, listen, I'm a redneck, all right? I, I like to go hunting. I know down here in Atlanta that may not be the best thing to talk about, but I went hunting this one time. And to be honest, I don't get to hunt that much anymore. Dad keeps me busy. Uh, my dad wants his money's worth out of me, and he said he hasn't gotten it yet. <laughs> so dad keeps me busy. And so I don't get to hunt as much as I, I would like. But uh, I remember years ago I was going turkey hunting. And uh, in eastern North Carolina, it's swampland. Eastern North Carolina is full of swampland. And so we're hunting in this place, and uh, we, we, I never turkey hunted before. I, was never, I had never done it before. So this is my first time going out turkey hunting. I get up early in the morning. My uncle, who never turkey hunted, hey, sometimes you need help. That's why you get someone else that's never gone either. <clears throat> and we go turkey hunting in eastern North Carolina. <clears throat> and we, uh, you know, we go on this trail. It's a marked trail. We go on this marked trail. But listen, turkeys don't follow the trails. <clears throat> so we saw a little clearing. And... Um, we said, well, we'll go set up our ambush there. So we sat in there, and we kept calling and calling and calling, and we soon find out that the only turkeys that were going to come to our calls were the death turkeys. <laughs> I don't think we sound like anything like a turkey. Sound like something dying. And um, it, needless to say, we didn't see a single turkey. The only two turkeys that day were my uncle and I, all right, sitting in the woods. We saw nothing. We just had a glorified hike through the woods. And so, well, it's time to get back to a late breakfast. And so we got up our stuff, gathered up our stuff, and we decided to go back. And we started going back to the clearing, back to the trail. And we kept walking and walking and walking and walking. No trail. And I'm one of those guys that I never get lost. I have one of those internal compasses. I'm, I'm a pilot. And so I, I love maps, geography. I know my way around. And so getting lost in the woods is not something I normally do. Neither does my uncle, who spends a lot of time down there. And so we said, well, we must not be on it. We must need to go this way. So we walked and walked and walked that way for a while. Mm -mm. All right, this way. We walked and walked and walked and walked. Mm -mm. This is getting embarrassing. Two grown men getting lost in the woods. No one wants to be rescued. <laughs> <clears throat> this is really embarrassing, you know. And so, so we said, well, the only place we haven't gone is that direction. So we walked and walked and walked and walked and walked. Finally, we saw a tree with yellow paint on it. And behind that tree was another tree with yellow paint. 
few more yards, another tree with yellow paint. And we found our trail again. We found the trail and we were able to walk out of the woods because we found these yellow markers on the tree that helped lead us the way. And so today, as we look at God's word, I want to give you three yellow markers that help us to discern God's will. Because there's some of you today that you're just lost in trying to find God's will. Now, just like I was in those woods desperately wanting to get out of them, there's some of you here today that you have big decisions to make. Decisions that are facing you or your family. Decisions that may be facing this church. Decisions with your finances, whatever they, these things might be, you're, you have decisions to make and you desperately, just like I did, want to be going in the right direction. You desperately want to be in the center of God's will, but then trying to understand God's will and to know if you're on God's will are two different things. So today I want to give you three yellow markers that we can look at that see and to know that we're lined up on God's will. So let's look at the text first. First uh, Samuel chapter 16. Let, let me just give you a little background what's going on right here, all right? Um, Israel has just come out of the, the time of the judges, and uh, God raises up a, a new leader. His name is Samuel. Now, Samuel is one of the greatest prophets of all time. Matter of fact, the Bible says that God didn't allow any of his words to fall to the ground. And in, in other words, everything he said came true. How would you like that? Now, Samuel would be the last great prophet uh, or the greatest prophet since the time of Moses. All right. And so here they are. They got this wonderful spiritual leader. Um, but now they ask for a king. And out of rebellion against God, they wanted a king. And so God gives them a king. And they said, we want to be like the other nations. We want a king just like everybody else. So God gave them exactly what they asked for, a king just like everybody else. His name was Saul. And Saul became the king. Now, he looked like a king, just like all these other great kings. He was tall, but he wasn't a good king. Matter of fact, we knew that from the very beginning. The first time we introduced to Saul, he had done what? He had lost his donkeys. All right, the guy couldn't even find his donkeys, and now he's going to run a country. That should be, you know, where's your sign, right? Lost. Not loser, but lost. <clears throat> he had lost his donkeys. And, uh, and he, he's, if you want to sum up one word to describe all of Saul's life, just about, the best word to describe is fear. He lived in fear. But you and I were called to live by faith. There's the problem for Saul. Saul lives by fear. Chapter 15, he saw that the Philistine army was getting bigger across the river. He's about to go fight. The, ar the, the Philistine army is getting bigger. He saw the back of his, his army's heads. What does that mean? They were running away. <laughs> they, they played a national game of hide and go seek. <laughs> his army ran and hid. They hid themselves. They were scared. So he saw his army deserting. He saw the army, other army getting bigger. And then he saw that Samuel had not shown up, at least what he thought was in good timing. Samuel said, wait on me. 
for the sacrifice. And Saul said, man, we're about to go to war. I better hurry up and do the sacrifice. Offers a sacrifice, and God rejects him. And then, it, then God tells him in chapter 15, says, now I want you to send you on this assignment, and now I want you to go kill all the Amalekites and wipe them out, and he fails to do it. He saves one. And God said, you know what? I'm tired of you. You, you keep failing. You keep listening to your own desires. You live in fear. I've rejected you from being king. And Sam, or Samuel knows about this. Samuel is the one that had to tell Saul, Saul, God's rejected you from being king. He's torn the kingdom away from you, and he's going to give it to your neighbor. But Samuel has no idea who it is. But yet he's delivering this message. This is where we come in chapter 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Why is he mourning for Saul? Because God has rejected him as king. That's why he's, he's mourning. How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he's going to kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said. And he went to Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? Now, the last time we said, let me stop right there. The reason why, you know, why, why they, you come peacefully, why are they scared? Last time they saw him on the national scene, do you remember what Samuel was doing? He had a sword and he was killing King Agag. He was hacking someone to death. They, don't rem- they didn't forget about that. And they know that they rejected Saul. So they said, uh... Are you on good terms or bad terms? I'm on good terms. And he said, peacefully I've come to you to sacrifice the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliam, the oldest, and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shimea pass by, and neither, Lord, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so Samuel rose and went to Ramah. The first marker is this. As we look at the text, the first yellow marker is this. 
You know you're doing God's will when he speaks to you concerning his will. Look at the text, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel. God spoke to Samuel. God reached out and said, Samuel, this is what you're going to do. Matter of fact, he gives them some commands. He said, he said, um, he said fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. He gives them commands. He tells them what to do. And my friends, God speaks to you concerning his will. God's not sitting up in heaven saying, man, I hope those people down there in Atlanta can't figure this out. I hope they can't figure this thing out. I don't want them to know my will. No, God wants you to know his will. How do we know what God's will is? He speaks to us. My friends, it's right here. This is the revealed word of God given to you and me. And the reason is that we don't know what God's will is because we don't spend time here. Now, I'm so grateful that you have a pastor that preaches from this, from this living book, this all-powerful book. Your pastor preaches from this book. But, my friends, coming just one day a week is not good enough. You need to be spending time in God's Word and reading it yourself and studying it yourself and allow God's Word to be speaking to you about the things that you're going through in life. My friends, God has never let me down. Listen, I've let people down. I've had other people let me down, but God and God's word has never, ever let me down. God's word speaks to us. And this is how God reveals his will to us, you right here. That's why it's important that you speak. You say, well, Will, I'm trying to find out what college to go to. I don't know if Auburn's in there or not. I can't find it. War Eagle. But, you know, you're saying, well, but God will speak to you. And you say, you know, it's not going to say, here's, your, here's the college you're supposed to go to, Will Graham, you know, right here. It's not going to say that. What it is going to do, you're going to start to read it, and God's going to start to impress on your heart. Then all of a sudden, a verse is going to stand out, and this is God speaking to you about that decision. And deep down inside, you know it. God's Word speaks to us. I remember I grew up in a place called Boone, North Carolina, home of Appalachian State University. And um, it's, it's a little bit colder than Atlanta. And on this particular day, we were out on our farm, and we had a bad snowstorm coming. So my mom and dad decided to go into town to get some supplies, get some gas for the generator, get some eggs, you know, cereal, milk, all that type of stuff, and get ready because we're going to be shut in for a while. And my brothers and I... I have two other brothers. I have a sister as well, but she wasn't born at this time. And uh, my brothers and I, we, we were going to stay at home. And uh, mom and dad said, now, you guys uh, stay indoors, and you don't go play on the pond. The pond was frozen by then because we, like, we were out there playing on it. We tried to ride bicycles across a frozen pond. It was pl- Listen, if I fell through, it was only about eight inches deep, all right? <laughs> this pond was about filled in. But um, we would go out there on our bicycle. You know how dumb that is? You can't ride a bicycle on ice. We found that out. And so we would be going out there, and mom and dad said, while we're out there, while we're, while we're gone, don't go out there. So what do you think us boys did? <laughs> Man, you guys do know us. <laughs> or you just, you're in the same boat as we. That's why. 
And so they, mom and dad got out of the corner, and sure enough, we went out there and played and played and had fun, wrecked our things. And all right, mom and dad are coming home soon. We better get inside. You know, they've been gone for about 20 minutes. Um, they're going to be home about 30 minutes, they said. So we better get back into town. I mean, get back into our house. And so we go back into our house. And, but the problem is, is when you come out from outside with all that snow, you take it off at the front door, what happens? It melts. Big puddles of water. So I cleaned it up. If you're going to disobey, do it right. <laughs> All right. We were supposed to be watching a movie. If I turn on the movie and it's still in the first five minutes of the credits, opening credits, that ain't going to look good either. Fast forward for about 20 minutes worth. Hey, if you're going to do it, do it right. So some of you just wish you had thought of that too. And as soon as we got a few, within about 10 minutes, mom and dad walk on in. First thing they said, what did we tell you about going to the pond? I'm like, how in the world do they know? Well, all those footprints in the snow. (laughs) (laughs) That part I didn't cover up. So I felt God's will later on that night. Listen, Noah was the same way. How did Noah know how to build the ark? God spoke to him about the ark. Listen, it had never rained before. How does a man know how to build a boat when he's in the middle of dry land? When it had never rained before. Yeah, big rainstorm's coming, huh? What rainstorm? What are you talking about? God told me to build this big boat in the middle of the desert. You're building this big ark right here? God told him to, and he did it. My friends, God's word will speak to us concerning his will. But oftentimes we don't know what God's will is because we fail to study and read this book. And I want to encourage you as Christmas comes, as the new year comes, just like this church, be a people of the book. Study God's word. Listen, This is the most important thing you can do in life. The greatest gift you can give yourself is to fall in love with God's word. And I hope that you'll do it. All right, let's continue. Marker number two. You know you're doing God's will when he gives you the means to accomplish his will. Now, Samuel hears what God tells him to do. He says, you know, fill your horn with oil, go, and you're going to go to Bethlehem. You're going to go to the house of Jesse. And uh, you're going to anoint someone for me. So he knows what God's will is. But now accomplishing God's will is another problem. He comes up and says, God, wait a minute. I hear you. But if Saul hears, because I just denounced him as king, I said I'm going to give it to a neighbor, he'll either kill me or he's going to kill the one I'm going to anoint. So how do I get around this problem? God said, see that heifer right there? Mm Mm-hmm. Take it. Go have a sacrifice in Bethlehem. Oh, good idea. He takes the heifer with him. So I'm going to go. That was his normal duties, to have sacrifices, to visit with people. So he took that heifer and said, I'm going to go have a sacrifice. And God said, while you're having that sacrifice, I'm going to show to you the one you're going to anoint. God realizes that people are going to have questions. God realizes that he, we're going to have questions about his will. And he just wants to know, are we obedient, though? 
Are we obedient? Saul was obedient. I'm sorry, Samuel was obedient. Samuel says, Lord, I hear what you do. I'll do it, but how am I going to get around this problem? Here's a problem I got. And God says, you're right. Here, take this. Take this cow. Samuel was confused but because he knew exactly what God told him to do to get a new king. But Samuel was scared of the potential of Saul's wrath, either against him or the new king. See, God will never ask you to do something without giving you the means to accomplish his will. God will never ask you to do something without giving the means to accomplish his will. I remember when uh, I first got married, I was in seminary at Southeastern outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. And my wife and I were newlyweds and we were in love. And my wife, she was working. She was helping me finish up seminary. And uh, I have a lovely wife. We've been married over 21 years now. I have three wonderful kids. And uh, she's an incredible Bible teacher. But, uh, and she's a nurse. She's a labor and delivery nurse. So she was a nurse. She was going to work and stuff like that. But on this particular day, I had classes from 8 in the morning all the way to about 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the afternoon. And so I wouldn't get home until around 4 o'clock. And so I would get extremely hungry. I didn't have time for lunch. The way my classes lined up, I just had zero time. And so I said to my wife, I said, honey, do, do you mind? Uh, I was looking in the cupboards. There's really nothing to eat except Cheerios. Could you go to town and get us some food? You know, go get us something and whatever it is, I don't care, but just cook me a home-cooked meal tonight, would you? And she says, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Be happy to. So long day. I'm just waiting for that big home-cooked meal. Home-cooked meal, home-cooked meal, home-cooked meal. I get home, open my car door, nothing. I was like, well, maybe the door is closed. I was hoping it smells something on the grill, like a steak or something like that. Nope. All right, maybe it's in the oven. Open the house, nothing. I looked in the cupboards, nothing except a box of Cheerios. Refrigerator, nothing. Stove, nothing. Oven, nothing. There was nothing. So since we're newlyweds, I sat in a polite way. Honey, that never goes well. I said, um, I thought you were going to cook some food for us. Isn't that what you said you were going to do? She said, listen to me. She said, you had my car keys the whole time. Man, I hope these aren't hers right now. I had asked my wife to do something, but did not give her the means to accomplish what I asked her to do. My friends, God would never do that to you. If God tells you something to do, he will give you the means to accomplish it. And when we live by faith, it's so much more exciting because we're like, yep, we don't know how this is going to work. But we're going to trust in God, and God's going to do it. Listen, the same problem was true with Moses. 
Remember Moses? God said, I'm going to send you to deliver, and you're going to speak before Pharaoh. You're going to deliver my people. And Moses goes, time out. Uh, I'm slow of tongue. I'm slow of speech. In other words, he probably had a speech impediment. He says, Lord, you can't use me. I got a speech impediment. And God said, what? You're right. (laughs) But I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the ability to speak before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. God said, you're right. I'm going to give you the ability to do it. You don't have that, but I'm going to give you the ability. My friends, when God tells you to do something, he'll give you the means to accomplish it. Just as God gave Moses speech and Samuel a sacrifice, he will give you the means to accomplish his will. Number three, the third marker. You know you're doing God's will when he reveals his specific choice. And so here we see, and sometimes, listen, my friends, sometimes even Samuel, the man who knew God's will all the time, comes to a point in his life, he goes, I don't get this one, Lord. Help me to figure this one out. But to his credit, he stuck with the Lord in this. And what do I mean? He came up, he said, all right, I'm going to go to this house. And he starts to look at the sons. The first one walks in. This is him. Man, tall, good looking. Mr. GQ. Mm-hmm. That's our new king. God says, uh-uh. What do you mean? He says, Samuel, you're looking at his outward appearance, but I look at his heart. And his heart's not after me. That's not him. Okay. Next one. Uh-uh. Next one. Uh-uh. Next one? Nope. Next one? Nope. All seven of them? Nope, 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 nope. Hmm. Here comes, now Samuel's in that predicament that you and I find ourselves in oftentimes. We want to follow God's will. We think we're in God's will, and all of a sudden we get a roadblock. And Samuel's thinking, all right, God told me, I know what God told me to do. He's probably double-checking this thing. He said, you, this is Bethlehem, right? I'm in the right city. Yep, it's Bethlehem. You are Jesse, the only Jesse here, right? I'm the only Jesse here. All right. I got the right family, the right town. I got one son, two sons, five, six, seven sons. You got any more sons? So he kept persisting in trying to understand God's will. He just didn't give up. He said, well, that's it. I'm going home. Wasted a cow on this trip. He keeps persisting. He keeps persisting. So many of us, you and me, we give up so easily. We we don't want to sit there and study and discern God's will. He stood there and he studied. God, what's going on? Do I got the right family? I've got everything right. And he comes to the point, do you have any more sons? Uh Uh-huh. That's him way over there. He's keeping the sheep. That's got to be him. Go get him. Go get him. We're not even going to sit down until he gets here. Come on, go get him right now. So they go get him. David was ready. He's small. He's the youngest. He's good looking. And they bring him in. And God says, bingo, that's him. Arise, anoint, for this is my new king. Now, no one knows this. God's speaking to Samuel. So Samuel gets up, puts oil on him. 
consecrates him just like his brothers. I don't think the brothers knew what was going on. I think only Samuel knew. He was persistent in studying God's and understanding God's will. And so many of us, we don't want to do that. But we see that God chose the youngest. And this makes no sense because this is socially not correct. Why? Because he was from Bethlehem. This is like the most insignificant town. I live in Fairview now. Where? Fairview, North Carolina. Huh? It's near Asheville. Okay. Fairview. It's like picking someone from Fairview. It's an insignificant town. You'd think it would come from Atlanta, Charlotte, or at least Asheville, or Swannanoa. That's where I came from. It doesn't make any sense. You get it from the worst, smallest town, and it's not politically correct. In other words, the oldest is expected to get the job. If anybody's supposed to be promoted, it's supposed to be the oldest son, and it's not. It's the youngest. It defies common sense because the Bible says that David is small and he's the youngest. There's more people more with more experience. His brothers have more experience in life. David, he, he was the youngest. But God needed a shepherd for his people. And David was that man. You know, sometimes it just doesn't make sense, God's will. Doesn't mean that God's wrong. He's absolutely right. We just don't want to accept that. My wife and I, we bought a house this year. I moved from Swannanoa to Fairview. One insignificant town to the other insignificant town. <laughs> Beautiful places in western North Carolina. I love it up there. And uh, we moved into this house, and it was a house I would never look at. It was sitting right on a road. It didn't meet our budget. didn't have, matter of fact, it's not the architecture I was looking for, Nothing. I didn't want this house. I wanted something else. God say, nope, that's it. I was like, mm, God, that ain't going to work. I mean, it's on, the, it's on this busy highway, and, and the lady wants more money than I can afford. Mm-mm, Lord, you got you to be kidding me. So I said, okay, Lord, I'll, be, I'll do what you tell me. I'll put an offer in. Denied turned down. She laughed at me. said, nope. So I said, okay. Well, Lord, I tried. Maybe, maybe I'm supposed to find something else. So I kept looking something, but God kept me bringing back to this house. So I put another offer in. Two months later, she took it. I couldn't believe it. Now I've got a house I've got to figure out how to pay for. <laughs> but God provides. What I'm just trying to say is is a house I didn't want, I couldn't get, God did it all. And it wasn't in his timing, not my timing. It was in God's timing. See, my friends, there's times we're going to make mistakes in God's will. And we're going to have to make a choice to go back and get in the middle of God's will. God gives you a chance for U-turns in life. I remember a couple years ago, I was landing at the Atlanta airport. I had to go speaking down in Auburn, Alabama. And so um, I, knew, I, just, I knew that from the airport, you just get on the interstate and you go straight there. Just got to go east. 
And so, matter of fact, we had such a tight connection that um, I had a friend get there a little bit earlier than me to pick me up and then drive me to Auburn, Alabama. And uh, this is when GPSs were just coming out. And Atlanta had, with all of the building of new roads and stuff like that, the GPS just, they're not updated. Back then on the cars, Hertz had a thing called, I think they called it never lost. I said always lost because <laughs> they wouldn't update them. You know, like every 10 years they would update it, you know. And Atlanta, that was changing monthly on the roads around here. And so I remember going and I was looking at the, uh, the GPS, but it just it said, you know, kept turning me down this road. And I was like, well, there's, no, it's right there's the interstate. I can see it. I can see the sign right there. Go east, 20 east. And so I got on 20 east and started heading to Auburn, Alabama. Mm-hmm. I can see some of you are ge- geographically acute. <laughs> there is no Auburn, Alabama on Interstate 20. I was going in the right direction. And so uh, my friend said, all right, this is the exit number you're going to be looking for. And as soon as I come across that state line, I'm about 100 numbers off. I was like, something's not right here. And so I got out my phone and was looking down Interstate 20. Where in the world is Auburn, Alabama? I got all the way to Birmingham. Still not there. Look back, did it again. I said, all right, let me just type it in, Auburn, Alabama. And then that's when you get that sinking feeling because you see the map start scrolling. (laughs) Just in case you're wondering, Auburn's on Interstate 85. So I called my friend and said, I'm not making the dinner. I'm missing my appointment. He said, what? It was a long story. But my friends, I had to choose. It didn't matter how sincere I was. If I kept going in the right direction, in, in the wrong direction, my direction, I would have gone through Birmingham and so forth on. I would have never, ever come to Auburn, Alabama. No matter how sincere, how genuine my motives were, I would never gotten there. I had to choose to make a U-turn. When God revealed his specific choices at Auburn, Alabama is down here. I had to make a choice to get off the path I was going to take another way down there. And that was my next exit. Otherwise, I was going to be gone for a long time. My friends, there's some of you here today, you got to do a U-turn right now. You got to get off the road. You got to start getting back to God's will. You're out of God's will right now. Maybe in a relationship you're not supposed to be in. Maybe you're in a business deal that you know that you shouldn't be in. Maybe you have a decision right now that uh, you have to make. And you've been waffling between what to do. And God's been putting it on your heart. Maybe even during this sermon, God's been speaking to your heart. And now God's telling you it's this way. And now you realize I got to change direction. That's not the way I was wanting to go. My friends, you need to get off now. Get on that other direction. You say, well, Will, that's going that's embarrassing. Yep. <laughs> I had to explain to a whole bunch of angry people waiting on me while I was late. My driver took me the wrong way. <laughs> it was me. But I had to make a choice. I said, get off right here. Get off right now. Right now, right now. Got off. 
and started heading south. I drove two hours. And when I made that change in direction life, I was still two hours away. I, I, I thought I knew what was right. I was trying to do what was right. I was going in the wrong direction because I wasn't in God's will. And there's some of you here today, you got to make a, a change in your life. God's speaking to you about that change right now. I don't know what it is, but you do, and God does. My friends, I want to encourage you to make that change before you get any further down the road, because it only gets worse. Get back at That's why God's revealing it to you right now, to get you back into his will. You'll never regret being in the center of God's will. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes you got to swallow your pride. You made mistakes. I've made mistakes. I made plenty of them. Ask my wife. But God's so good. His plan is always better than ours. And I think that's what we fail to realize. God wants the very best for us. And God can take care of all our problems and issues if we just surrender them over to him. No matter how scared, we don't want to live in fear, my friends, like Saul. We want to live by faith like David. David wasn't perfect either. Matter of fact, we get to 2 Samuel, it's a nightmare. But David was a man after God's own heart. He would change directions. He would repent and change directions to get back where he needs to get to. So, my friends, that's what I encourage you to do right now. And so I just want to close this with a word of prayer. But my friends, whatever God's leading to you right now, I want you to do it. Follow God's will. He'll speak to you concerning his will. He speaks to us right here. He'll give you the means to accomplish his will. And then he will always reveal his specific choice. And then my friends, when he does, do it wholeheartedly. Don't hold anything back. Follow him. Follow him. Be obedient to that decision that God wants you to do. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Lord, I know in my own life there's been times when I've gotten away from the God's will. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. And Lord, I know I'm not the only one in this same boat. And so, Lord, help us to read your word and discern your will because, Lord, you've already revealed it to us. That, Lord, we can study your word, listen to your word, listen to you speak from your word. And then, Lord, give us the courage. Help us to put it in our own hearts, Lord, that whatever you tell us to do, we will do it, just like Samuel did. He did as the Lord commanded him. Lord, there may be some here dealing with hard decisions, Lord. And Lord, they desperately want to make the right decisions. They're a follower of you. Lord, would you reveal your specific choice in their life right now? Lord, there's some here today, they've gone the wrong direction in life. There's some here, maybe they've, Lord, they used to be close to you. But Lord, the things of this world lured them away. 
They made one decision, then another bad decision, another decision, Lord, and it's just taking them further from you. Right now, Lord, I pray that they'll get off the direction they're going. Stop going down that broad path that leads to destruction. But, Lord, take the narrow path back to you. Lord, give that person courage to do that right now. In Jesus we pray. Amen.